Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. So I'm really living my life in a place of devotion to connection to source, to energy, and also learning how to trust myself more and more every day. And I realized that I've been looking at my life in this really one-dimensional way. And with all these rules, it was completely plugged into another achievement system, one that no longer belonged to me, yet I didn't know how to craft my own and kind of get the movement going on that. So that just shook me to my core. Honestly, this is gonna sound really funny. I just feel like I'm still like recovering from the whole of my life. And I just want to read. I just want to like sit down and read for me and just chill. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Amber Lillystrom. You can find her on Instagram and elsewhere at Amber Lillystrom. I wanted to have Amber on the show because she has helped people find their passion and brand themselves in such a unique soul kind of way. And I thought it would really help people who are trying to figure out what their brand is. So Amber is a transformational branding strategist and a business coach, as well as a philanthropist and lifestyle entrepreneur. She's been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Working Mother Magazine, and is also a fellow podcaster and the host of the Amber Lillystrom Show. So in this conversation, we talk about everything from the day that she decided to quit her full-time job to pursue what her soul was really calling her to do, how she used the channeling of Abraham Hicks to accelerate her journey, and we go into outer space on that one, and how she wound up becoming Miss New Hampshire 2015, which is a fun story. So I love this episode because she was willing to go there with me. Wherever I wanted to go, she was willing to go, and there are so many takeaways here for you. So be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and at Amber Lillystrom and let us know what you thought. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Amber. Amber, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Listen, the pleasure is mine. I have been looking forward to this for some time and I have watched your meteoric rise over the last few years and I am so freaking excited to dig into how you are doing it. So thanks for making the time. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay. So I thought we would start with what you and my wife both have in common, and that is growing up in the beautiful state of New Hampshire. I know. I love it. We're Granite Staters. You're Granite Staters. Would you tell me a story about something your parents did with you as a kid, which maybe sort of typifies what your experiences were like, say, from ages five to 10 in New Hampshire? Yeah. Well, the interesting part, actually, and this might smash the story a little bit, is that I grew up actually uh, north of Boston in a town called Reading until I was 10. And then when I was like nine-ish, 10, we moved to New Hampshire. But the reason why we moved to New Hampshire is probably part of more 
of the story we're going to get into today around my childhood and uh, overcoming sexual abuse as a really, really young child and all of the roots and, and stuff that's connected there with uh, family of origin and uh, family dynamics and all these things. But my mom wanted for us to have a childhood where we could run around outside barefoot, you know, toehead blondes, catching frogs in the woods, not having to worry about traffic and cars and strangers and any of those things. And when we moved uh, to New Hampshire, which was around that age of nine, um, we did, we got to live that life. And I remember just spending the entire day outside, running around, coming in for popsicles, going back out until it was dark and just really, you know, having that sense of uh, connection with my brother and our friends in the neighborhood, but that freedom and knowing ourselves and also having a really intimate relationship with nature as well. Amazing. All right. So what did you think you wanted to be when you were in high school? When I was in high school, you know, I had pretty, I had tunnel vision at that time because I knew that in order for me to go to college, so this is around the age of nine, I made this decision because I knew that my parents struggled financially and I was kind of like just forecasting the future and thinking, my parents are going to have a hard time helping me go to college. I don't want to be a burden on them. And so I'm I'm not kidding you. At nine, I decided that whatever it was I was going to do in sports was going to be the thing that got me a scholarship in college. And the re- part of the reason why I had that belief that that was possible was because my dad was a division one athlete. And it was a big part of just my growing up. And I think my brother and I both like just somehow crafted this story in our minds that the way you go to college is you just become a really good athlete and then you get a scholarship and then you can go play your sport and then do school at the same time. And so when I was in high school, I was just incredibly focused. I was playing on three teams all year. Yeah. So soccer was really my my thing. And I was it was my first love. I was obsessed with it. I was disciplined. And that's really all I spend my time on besides going to school. Admittedly, I was always playing on the field. Yeah. You know, my, my wife has a similar story with soccer. It, it you know, apparently that, uh, even though it, it's not incredibly popular there, it seems like a lot of kids in the burbs did that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a thing. And especially now, um, I'm still playing at 36. I'm still out on the field playing in a women's league. Um, we started up with outdoor this season. And so I'm playing a bunch of these like high school teams that are in their sort of summer break and these college players that are coming back. And it's just such a different world, you know, than it was. I mean, there's like women's leagues, girls leagues and outdoor facilities and all this. So it definitely has grown to an incredible level, but it's not anything like it's not as developed as it as it is in other states, southern states especially. All right. So let's let's move out of um high school and let's fast forward a bit to uh late August 2013 and the, the birth of your beautiful daughter Annie, right? Annie. Annie. I Ani. knew I, I just had a feeling I might have said that wrong. It's Annie. Okay. Ani, yep. Is it how's it spelled? So it's A N N I. Her name is Annika, and our nickname for her is Annie. So A N N I. Okay, got it. So, like most moms who spend a few months with their baby, you sort of reevaluated whether or not you should go back to work. Can you place us on the day that you had a conversation with your friend Emily about going back to work and and maybe talk about what she said in that conversation that sort of informed the next chapter of your life? So, you know, and this is on the heels of almost dying on the operating room table when my daughter was born. So I stopped breathing and I had a an awakening, you know, a clarity of I'm not doing what I know I want to be doing with my life. And I came out of that operating room changed, you know, just obviously now I'm a mom and knowing all these new things and uh, about 
what I wasn't doing and what I knew I wanted to do. And so it was just sort of like, you can't unknow it once you know it. Right, Rob? It's like, once you have that clarity, it's like you can't erase it from your brain. Can't undo Um, it. And when you're someone who lives in high integrity with yourself, you can't lie to yourself once that that truth has been fully exposed. And so uh, those months after Ani was born, it was the first time in my entire life that I had actually stopped. I had been in the pursuit of a division one scholarship from the age nine, as I shared. And then I started a career in collegiate athletics, which just is that same machine of just nonstop seasons back to back and working in, in branding and marketing there and loving my career, but being full tilt all the time. And so I'm now on maternity leave after a really intense birth experience and recovery and all of that. I'm relearning how to you know, do life now as a mom. And I'm having a conversation one day with uh, one of my dear friends, actually like my only childhood friend that I went to middle school, high school, everything with. And we're on the phone and I'm just, I'm crying to her saying, you know, I just, I don't know how I'm going to go back. And I, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know what else to do. And I literally had no idea. I didn't have, I didn't have a business. I didn't have a backup plan. I, I had nothing. I just had my job and some inspiration. And, you know, I, I had like a little baby blog over on Tumblr. The moral of the story is that this is your life. And it, it like took my breath away because she didn't say it in the way that so many people say that kind of a sentence, like this is your life, like you, yours, like an ownership kind of thing. She said, this is your life. And she, the word life reverberated inside of me. And I realized that I'd been looking at my life in this really one dimensional way. And with all these rules and all these like acrobatics that I had to do in order to live the way I wanted to live. I I was completely plugged into another achievement system, one that no longer belonged to me, yet I didn't know how to craft my own and kind of get the movement going on that. So that just shook me to my core. And of course, I, you know, still had to go back to work within a couple of weeks. But uh, after that conversation, within eight months of Ani's birth, things just started to really fall into place. And I started making decisions. And I started making decisions that were going to change the trajectory in the course of my entire life. You know, what a story. It's amazing how these things happen in our lives and they just, somebody can say a word and the, it's almost like something came from on high and went through mm-hmm. this person to yes. you. Yes. Maybe it did, who knows, you know, but an intonation of a word can change the trajectory of somebody's life. A hundred percent. You know, the next major step, at least looking in from the outside, was the decision to give up your husband's paycheck mm-hmm. as a police officer. Can you sort of walk me through how you ultimately uh, wound up making that decision. You know what? Better yet, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's fast forward to around May of 2014. So you're, I'm jumping ahead of myself. You're out of your old job yes, and you're starting the next chapter of your life and you decide that you want to be a coach. What I'd like to talk about is what it really looks like to make that vision a reality. And maybe you can take us back to what it felt like to create a spreadsheet with your budget Mm -hmm. or having to cancel cable TV or sell the Subaru because the payment was too high or just that that time in your life. Around March of 2014, I made an investment in a program which was like all signs to the universe, I'm going to do this. And still really having no idea 
what that was going to look like or how that was going to unfold. But I knew that the coaching business was what I wanted to do. I had been, you know, I taught sport marketing at the university. I'd been mentoring students for a decade. I had taught, I'd coached soccer. Um, I always, I love mentoring. I was the captain of my division one soccer team. So like mentoring and coaching has been in my blood forever. And so I knew that this was something that I had already had some sort of success with, but I knew that I needed to differentiate myself somehow in this space and utilize where I had credibility in my career path, which was in marketing, branding, human psychology, you know, inspiration, motivation, all of those things. I can speak about it much more clearly now than I could back then. I just need to say that out loud. Back then I was so confused and so overwhelmed. But I just, you know, I did this course. I did bits and pieces of it. I actually didn't finish it, but I met incredible people inside the walls of that course space in the Facebook group specifically and made built relationships with people. And really just looked at, you know, I realized that my business was going to grow one person at a time, one client at a time, one yes at a time, one dollar at a time, one like at a time, one subscriber at a time. And instead of letting myself get super focused on this big picture, you know, division one scholarship, well, you get there by one workout at a time, one game, one kick, one pass, right? And so I knew that that was the way it was going to kind of move me through that. And I just, because of my experience as an athlete, I knew how to do the do, you know, I knew how to chop wood and carry water and, and sweat it out and work hard. So 2014 in May, I had my last day at UNH at my corporate career. I went from being a somebody who had a name on the door, who had a title that she'd worked for to literally being a nobody coming home and having seven people on my email list and uh, one to two clients to my to my business. But it, it was all for what mattered most to me. And so we had to make decisions about things that were had once seemed like just the way you do things, right? You just, you have cable TV, you have the, the big television, you have the house, you know, you, you have two cars, you have two car payments, you know, that very traditional track that so many of us were raised into and then sort of just like conditioned to, to pursue once we were out of college uh, with our debt, of course. You know, we just started making some decisions that at the time felt difficult. And now looking back on it, I couldn't be more grateful for leaning into that. And we just started getting rid of things, you know, just getting rid of... T- I'm like, why do we need this? Watching this stuff, it's a waste of time anyway. It's not helping us be productive. Let's get rid of this. We sold the car um, with the, the the higher payment and uh, got a hand-me-down Honda Accord from Ben's dad that had like 200,000 miles on it and, and a hole in the gas tank. I remember actually like riding my bike places and and we like lived out kind of in the country. So it was like at least like a you know a couple miles, six miles or something to get into town. But it just didn't matter to us because we had freedom. You know, we had like I was experiencing a, a type of freedom I had never known in my entire life because I'd always been plugged into a system into a machine. And so it was really like this unlearning process so that we could then start building our life and of course the business and you know all these different aspects of how we thought about the world and what we wanted in the world. Um, we, we really have just like completely retooled all of it. How did you deal with the fear? That came up during that time. I mean, you had to, and I can kind of go back into my question with with your husband and his, yeah. and giving up that paycheck. But you know, there's a lot of people who have dreams of things that they want to do, and for what for one reason or another, they're not willing to step into the unknown, give up the paycheck. But you guys did. You guys gave up both paychecks, mm-hmm. right? You gave yeah. up his and yes, yours. We just did that last year. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, so, so there was, there was a little a, time a and sequence. space. So it was 2014. I left and then Ben stayed in his police career until the, till the summer of 2017. So we're just, we're literally at the one year anniversary. And so I can tell that story too, but I want to go into the fear piece. Cause I think there is that space in between. And it was, it was really intense. You know, it, it was, I was working in nap times and nighttime and any minute that I had doing that sort of like dance between watching the baby monitor and knowing she was going to be waking up and trying to wrap up a sales call and trying to keep that that like conversation light and high and put all the confidence in the world into this client that I could help her while also like freaking out because my kid was like stirring and I knew she was going to start crying for me. And I know you guys get that, you know, that mm-hmm. that balancing act of of momming and and also growing an empire at the same time. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, Ani was eight months old when I left my corporate career. And so the business and Ani are basically the same age. And I am just so grateful, you know, looking back at the photographs and things and videos and like watching back of there are times where I was doing trainings with her on my lap and and just like praying that she didn't have a complete melt um, because it was what I had to do. And so I'm a person who as I shared with you when I was nine years old, I've always been able to really focus hard on the the big picture, the big vision and the goal of where I want to go. So when I launched my business in the back of my mind, uh, I didn't necessarily articulate this too much because my belief was not strong enough yet. And so when I'm not certain about something, I just kind of like have the seed in the back of my mind, but I don't bring it out into the forefront or like share this precious dream with people yet because sometimes when it's too tender you can actually take on other people's doubt and it can amplify any little shade of doubt that you might have. And so my ultimate goal was to get Ben out of that job for for many, many reasons. One, every single day when my husband would leave for work, I would always do like a scan. And this like makes me really emotional. Like, like just save my prayers because I didn't know if he would come home. You know, like that was a reality every day. And Yes, we live in New Hampshire. There's like a lower crime, but you just don't know. You know, you oh, just you, you just know. literally yeah. don't know. And of course. and so, especially in that career path. And so, I would, you know, I was just so used to that practice of always like saying a prayer, like imprinting him one more time because I didn't know if it was the last time I would see him. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. You know, I didn't want to live that way anymore. Where I would just, you know, I would have to check the news if he wasn't responding to me because something might be happening in in the city, and he might be like, you know supporting the SWAT team or something. Sure. Um, so I wanted to get him out of that job and I wanted us to be able to live more together than we were apart. I I left my job originally, Rob, because I wanted to be more present for my life and for the people in it. That has always been my big vision. And so what comes with that then is, you know, he had to be out of that job because that isn't in alignment with that goal, right? Him being away all the time in a police career is not actually in alignment with the goal of us being together we need to have the financial resources and uh, agility and ability in order to live our life and to be able to travel and go see people we love and to to spend time together. And so obviously my business has had to rise to meet that as well. So I think that part of the way I deal with fear is just knowing, you know, if the dream is in you, then it's for you. And I really don't question that anymore because I've looked at all the things, like I connect the dots of my life. I think I've always known that I was here for big things, especially because of what I overcame as a really young child. And so I just keep putting one foot in the fr- in front of the other every single day and really just appreciating and enjoying the work that I'm doing and the subsequent growth that comes with it, like looking at it from the outside. It does look, as you said earlier, you know, like meteoric. But to me, it just feels like 
you know, this is, this is what I'm here for. You know, this is, this is the rise. And, uh, in the process of that, I'm getting to just touch the lives of so many other women and families and help them rise up into their greatness too. How did you deal with the doubt that was around you? So in other words, I'm sure that there were well-meaning parents and friends that were like, are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) Yeah. How did you deal with that? You know, as I said, I kind of, I kind of put my blinders on and I think also, you know, it's funny because I don't, I don't love competition. I don't love the concept of competition, like the, the very masculine definition that our society sort of plugs into. And it's also funny to say that because I was a division one soccer player and then I worked in division one athletics for a decade, but I just see it, it that in this space, at least, you know, we are all contributing to the collective consciousness. The collective consciousness is uprising. I mean, that's what this work is about is about helping everyone really rise together. But I definitely, you know, you, you can't really take that out of me when I get on the soccer field, even now I'm, I want to win and I want to do really well. And so I think I kind of like that challenge of, okay, like I'm going to go do this sort of like seemingly crazy thing from the outside. And I know you guys don't get how that's going to happen, but just watch me. I'll show you how. And I, so I got, I got that little moxie, you know, and I've always had that since I was a young kid and I learned how to do that on the soccer field. And so I've been able to really apply that in other aspects because of course, it's all about mindset. You know, even as an athlete, it's, it's first about mindset. Let's talk a little bit about the the new home that you're in. So you sort of manifested your dream house. Can you tell me maybe some some strategies that you mm-hmm. guys use to sort of, you know, to go to the next level of creating not only the life that you want, but the environment that you want. Yeah. It's so key, right? It's it's It really makes a massive difference. And so I had to live here in my mind before I could live here physically. And we did things like we would drive by this house and, you know, we, it's really funny, actually, last night I had the friends that we were on the pond with kayaking. We were like doing a Sunday barbecue with them eight or so years ago. Ben and I were just dating at the time. We're paddling on the pond and we come up to this this particular house that we live in now with the real estate sign out on the tree, which is like lake life, the real estate signs on the water. And um, we we just said, hey, and the people waved to us and we said, your house is for sale. And they said, yeah, you want to come have a tour? And we were like, sure. So we came up and took a tour eight years ago in this place. We were in no position back then to even consider affording this house. Um, and even, you know, we weren't married or anything yet, but... I don't know. We just knew both of us. Like I imprinted the second I walked in, I knew this was my home. I knew this was the place that I was supposed to raise my family and live again. No idea how, but I just knew it. And so from then on, every time we would drive by the lake, we would always wave and say, Hey house, we can't wait to live in you. Hi house. And many times I thought in the back of my head, you're a lunatic, but okay, I'm just going to keep doing it. I would drive on the road that is, we live on this really like long dirt road, but the main road is beautiful with these like canopy trees, this winding, just gorgeous road. And I would drive up it and I would think, I can't wait to go for a run on this road. I can't wait to push a stroller on this road with my baby in it. You know, I wasn't a mom back then. And for years and years, we just, we just loved on it. We felt a connection to it. And so I think when, if you can really be there in your body and in your mind, if you can feel it, I could, I used to be able to feel the water on my skin, you know, what it would feel like to dive into the water. And I would just visualize and visualize and visualize that. And here's the thing. When I was visualizing, I would feel the joy of it. And let's reverse engineer that. The only reason that we humans want anything is because we believe that it will bring us joy. And so if you can recognize that and click into that and go, oh, okay. So what if I could just practice that joy now, even though I don't have it physically, 
but I can just imagine it in technicolor detail and just really viscerally be there in my mind and feel the joy of that and feel the excitement and the anticipation of that. Cause I know you guys are looking at a move. Like I'm sure you're doing that too. You're seeing yourself walking down the street with your coffee in your hand and looking at the palm trees and all of those things. You know, it's just being there before you're physically there. And then when you are there, it is just, it is just so sweet. And it's the secret. It is that over and over and over and over and again. And I have like infinite stories of just massive, incredible manifestations. This house being obviously the biggest one. Um, and I will also say at this moment today, as we're speaking, a big part of this home, this is not a large home that we live in. It is on waterfront. It's two acres. It's it is our dream. But we also knew that we had to take a bit of a risk because we weren't sure if they were going to give approval for expansion on the home. But I just knew deep in my core that that things were going to work out. And um, a year ago, we got approval. This year, we have the finances in place. And next week, they're breaking ground on uh, doubling the size of our house. Dude, I mean, like you give me <laughs> chills here. Freaking amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing. I want to dig into the details a little bit in terms of what the structure looks like for you. So you gave you gave a, a beautiful example of the way to step into the feeling mm-hmm. and the joy of what you want. But what does that look like in reality for you in terms of scheduling? Do you yeah. wake up in the morning, have a morning ritual, cup of coffee, close your eyes, visualize the next thing? What does that look like from a tactical standpoint? So I'm a, I'm 100% a morning person, uh, especially here watching the sunrise over the water, um, going out on that water. I am a person also that does not like rules. I'm a free spirit. I like to do what I want to do. <laughs> like I, as a kid, my favorite line to my parents was, don't tell me, mommy, don't tell me, daddy. And I'm still that way. I, I don't want to be told what to do. So having a specific morning ritual to me feels like being trapped. So mm-hmm. I give myself the the and, and I'll get to the point because this is really this is really the the core of what I believe the success where the success comes from and and just most importantly because to me success equals fulfillment um where that fulfillment comes from in my life and how that then leads to the manifestations and the physical experiences that just totally rock my world. I have worked really hard at learning how to trust myself and So that looks like waking up in the morning, breathing, having obvious gratitude, just receiving what's around me in a, in a, an instant, hearing the birds chirping, my husband next to me being in this room that I had visualized sleeping in for so long, my daughter in her bed, you know, hearing her little feet come up the stairs in the morning, the cat next to me, right? Just being fully present in my life in this moment, in this chapter, and just taking it all in again in this profound, detailed experience of appreciation and gratitude. And then getting up and and really thinking about before even my feet hit the floor, you know, what, how do I want this morning to feel? Kind of snapshotting, what do I have today on the docket? And then allowing myself to kind of go do that. What that ends up looking like every day is always a moment of mindfulness. And it might be, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because that's really all I have uh, most days because my daughter is in the koala bear phase. And all she wants to do is be attached to mama whenever mama is not um, plugged into something (laughs) else. Koala bear. Yes. Like legitimately (laughs) koala bear to me. So, um, so I take my 10, 15 ish to journal, to, to read a little bit, to just go in to maybe listen to a guided visualization, whatever it happens to be. It might need, I might just say I'm going out in the kayak and um, going out and just sitting in the middle of the water and just feeling the sun on my face and, and just praying a little bit, you know, it's, 
it's just, it's connecting to source, to spirit, to God, whatever that is for you in whatever way I need to. It might just be for on a walk or run. Yeah, no rules, no rules. It's just the trust and knowing that everything is unfolding as it needs to. And so sometimes, you know, I'm really at this place where it's like, I understand the importance of structure and systems and flow. I mean, that masculine is beautiful because it really helps to manage the divine feminine flow energy where we can just be like, woo, you know, just kind of doing all the things and not accomplishing things. But, but I operated in such a masculine way all of my life that this is all new for me. And this learning has with the blend of that, that strength that I have of being able to be disciplined has transformed truly into what feels even more fulfilling and empowering to me, which is devotion. So I'm really living my life from a space of, in a place of devotion to connection, to source, to energy, and also learning how to trust myself more and more every day. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk these days on masculine and feminine. And I think probably a lot of that is attributed to Tony Robbins sort of like bringing it to the mainstream, um, among other people. Do you, do you find that, you know, because you were working in the sort of corporate world that you were in, that you were forced into a more masculine energy. And then once you got out of it, you were able to go back to what your core really is, is feminine. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I mean, and also I was working in a corporate environment that is division one athletics, which the, the whole financial model of division one athletics is predicated on men's sports. And and that was a really difficult thing for me. And I think also part of like living in, in full integrity with myself, it was difficult for me to continue on in that space um, as a as a mom. You know, it's like I I realized that this like softer part of me had to come forth in order to mom the way I really wanted to mom my daughter, and mm-hmm. also to break the cycle on a lot of really destructive things that I was doing to myself to have control. I had an eating disorder for fifteen years of my life, and. I was a perfectionist to the like, just so intense. And I was so hard on myself and so cruel to myself. And I learned, you know, when I finally made the decision, I'm done with this, I I need to go get some support. And I need to start doing this work that, that the only way to move through that and overcome it was always in the softening, which was innately the feminine, you know, that feminine energy of like having compassion and empathy, but learning how to turn that inward and have it for myself. It's crazy because we would never treat people the way we treat ourselves so many times, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I find that the dark periods of our life are things that not only help us understand empathy, but also help others who find themselves in a similar situation. So if you're, if you're open to it, you mentioned it at the, uh, at the beginning of the show, can you tell us how being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse at around five years old shaped who you are today, and maybe even talk about the work that you're doing with the nonprofit Haven mm-hmm. um, that's dealing with the prevention and care of sexual and domestic uh, abuse. So, yeah, so I was ab- about Ani's age when she's four, four and a half now when when that happened in my life. And it was really painful, obviously, but more so not from the actual trauma, but from the aftermath of the trauma. And witnessing the family dynamics, and just to give you a snapshot, it was a a caregiver um, who was a who's married to one of my mom's family members, and it just was like a wrecking ball that went through our whole family. And unfortunately, part of my mom's family sided with my abuser, and my mom ended up kind of like losing 
most of her family, you know, for that period of time. So she's going through this ridiculously insane trauma trying to support her child who is so young and doesn't even have like the cognitive ability yet to even process what's really happening. And she's also now, you know, working with law enforcement and uh, the court system. And I, and my mom, you know, and my dad both were vigilant in helping me get closure, you know, and helping me go into the court system and, and testify, which obviously was, and I remember it to this day, how difficult that was being a five-year-old standing in front of a room of what felt like 60 adults um, alone because my parents weren't allowed to come in the room and having to tell this story for like the umpteenth time. And I was so done with it. I was so done talking about it. I was a kid. I wanted to play. I was fine to myself. You know, I was like, I'm fine. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of going to therapy. But my mom and dad were like, we just want to help you have closure on this. And really what that looked like was a restraining order and also, you know, just protection for our family. And so I did it, you know, and I had this this moment later after all of it, but it was it was obviously, you know, very difficult and I have like, you know, sort of kaleidoscope memories of some of these moments, but I remember sitting in my room um 5ish maybe five and a half playing with my Barbies, just sitting there in the room by myself and having this, like feeling like there was a voice talking to me, like feeling like there it was like God coming through me. I don't know, but just, just this, this overall knowing that, you know, this didn't happen for nothing and you are here to help others who have gone through this or worse. Like literally, it was just clarity. I'll never forget that moment. I was so young, but I remember it. And I also, Rob, I had to grow up real fast. And that required me and my my five-year-old brain to sort of like adopt the emotions of the people that were in my life and also learn how to sort of navigate that. And seeing how much pain my mom was in and um, how difficult it was for her to go through that. You know, I learned about empathy at a really young age. And, but at the same time, it's like this double-edged sword. So I learned about empathy at a really young age, but I also took on other people's emotions at a really young age. And it was a lot for me to bear. And I wanted to try to make my mom happy because I felt like somehow it was my fault because this happened to me. And now my, my mom was... I mean, I just, you know, you, as a child, you're so aware of your, your mother's emotional state. Even when she's trying to be strong for you, you always know if she's not okay. And, and so I was trying to like be the best I could be to prove that I was fine, that everything was okay, that like we were past this. And so it makes so much sense that I was such a high achiever and I plugged myself in to soccer and with the intensity that I did, but I was dealing with my pain in the background with an eating disorder and, you know, body image stuff and dysmorphia and and hatred for my body. And that went on for 15 years. And it wasn't until I was about 30 that I finally went and got the help that I needed and started doing that really deep emotional work to heal it. And, and it, and I'm so grateful that I, that I did, but it certainly did a lot of damage, you know, in between all of those years. Okay, so the next question is related to what we're talking about, and I'm a little bit unclear about why you chose to do this. So mm-hmm. my question is, if I understood correctly, you became Miss New Hampshire mm-hmm. in 2015. Did I get that right? 2016, actually, yeah. 2016, okay. Yeah. Why did you decide to do that, and did it relate at all to providing providing money and support to Haven to help yeah, them? It did. So a couple of things. Um, 
one, a friend literally dared me to do it. And <laughs> I knew there was another story here. Okay. So literally a friend who was Mrs. New Hampshire 2012 said, I, she called me and she said, I have some great news. I'm like thinking something about her business. I'm like, oh my gosh, tell me, what do you got going on, girlfriend? She said, you're doing Mrs. New Hampshire. And I laughed and I was like, that's funny. Probably not, but you know, okay. And so <laughs> like she said, please just think about it over the weekend. And I will also rewind a little bit further. And this is how I know you guys, because Kim and I, did fitness competitions together for a while through Kathy Savage Fitness. And so mm-hmm. I did fitness competitions for, for a beat. And I will be fully transparent and say that the reason that I did that was because I was using it as like, okay, if I, if I, you know, division one athletics and running till I'm going to puke didn't, didn't help me get skinny this well, like this is, if I, if I can't get like lean doing this, then I am a complete loser, but this is going to work, right? That's, I was hiding my eating disorder. That's why I did fitness competitions. But I'm so grateful that I did because I met so many amazing women like your beautiful wife, Kim and Lori and Kathy and all these incredible people who really helped me start to see a different model of life, entrepreneurship, uh, women's empowerment. It was like, it was the keyhole for me just to really get a glimpse into what might be possible down the path. So then fast forward 2016, um, So my friend dares me and I say, listen, I need the weekend to really like process this and decide if this is like going to make any sense for me to do this. Um, And I, you know, probably going to say no. And then I had this moment where I'm in my kitchen thinking to myself and I said, you know, how, like, how cool do you really think you are? And how, how, like, you know, how seriously do you really take yourself? You know, what, why is this a big deal? Like, is it uncomfortable? Is it, does it scare you? And the answers to those questions was yes. And so I'm also a person that if something is hard or scary, I make myself do it. So I walk on fire, I get on the roller coasters. Like if there's a fear there, I want to understand, I want to really like um, disruptivate whatever that is and explore. I look at myself as like a human experiment. I said, well, this is good. You're going to do this. And this is going to be a great way for you to go and start building a relationship with Haven and using that as your platform to really speak about a cause that's very important to you. You can also get back on stage. I also set, I did set rules for myself that I was not going to train or like diet down or do any of that stuff. I was just going to show up exactly as I was. And so I kind of made this like my own little personal challenge. And so I did it and I did not go in there thinking, you know, that I was going to win. I just was like, I'm going to go and have a really good time. I'm going to stay fully present. I'm not going to compare myself and put myself down because that was something that I had done as a fitness competitor. And so I, I made a vow to myself that I wouldn't abandon myself in this experience. Fast forward and they're calling my name and putting a crown on my head. And I'm like, oh Lord. Okay. So now we're actually doing this thing. But it gave me this opportunity for the first time actually to like really share my story about being a survivor. And I'll tell you this one story, Rob, that I am, I'm so touched by and so moved by. I I did a speaking event. I told my story for the first time publicly. I made a $2,500 donation at that event from my business as Mrs. New Hampshire, as Amber Lilliestrom at the same time. Uh, it inspired an additional, I think somewhere around like $13,000 to come in that it was like $15,000 on the night. They thought they were going to bring in like five grand um, because people were so moved by my courageous sharing of the story, right? And saying like, I am a survivor too. And these parents came up to me at the end of the night and they said, our daughter, Caitlin was sexually abused and we didn't find out about it until she was 25 when she took her own life. And they said, please promise us that you'll never stop telling your story. 
And I said, I promise I will always tell my story, you know, like, and I just held them. It was just like, I can't even imagine. And so I think that, you know, there's divinity in all of these things. And um, I know that the world of beauty pageants and whatnot can get a bad rap and all that. But for me, how I saw it was just an opportunity to, to connect with more people, to learn how to love myself even bigger, to have a greater sense of humor, to challenge myself. And I met incredible women from all over the country and amazing, amazing people in our community who it's like you put on the crown and everyone's telling you their life story. And I was so grateful to be able to hold that space and get to just love on people. So it ended up surprising me um, beyond measure at what a gift it was. And I will be forever grateful just for that, that opportunity and experience. Would you do it again? I think I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Um, I love what I do in my work now. And I, I'm so, I love speaking so much, but I want to speak as me now. And, um, and not that I wasn't, but I was still like having to represent an organization and I want to be a representative of myself wholly at this point. Yeah, I get that. I, I think I knew the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about something. It's kind of a self-interested question, I suppose. I've heard the the uh, the term Abraham uh, Hicks yeah. that is mentioned a lot. I don't... For, for those that don't know who Abraham <laughs> yeah. Hicks is, could you explain who mm-hmm. he, and I'm putting he in quotes, is... Mm-hmm. And what being in the hot seat with him was like. And feel free to go into outer space as much as you want okay, to. Okay, cool. Thanks. So, all right. Abraham Hicks is, um, let's just re- let's just like back up the bus so we can help people get into context. And th- let's just use as a disclaimer, this is going to sound really weird. So just let it be weird, guys. Okay. So there's a woman and her name is Esther Hicks. And years ago, I don't have all the specifics on this. Um, she went into her her husband, Jerry, at the time, um, was much more of like the spiritual seeker in their relationship and their marriage. And he and Esther went to go see a woman who had this gift of like channeling, I'm going to use the word channeling, spirit. So infinite intelligence, source energy, God energy, you know, whatever you want to define for that, but just higher power information downloads. And this woman would kind of like go into the state and channel information from spirit and then deliver this to the people that would come and have these sessions with her. So Esther was there and had like this profound experience um, of getting downloads, information, feedback. Fast forward, she goes on into her life and then realizes that she has this gift too. And there's like much more in between. And you guys can Google the whole story of how this all came to be. But Esther downloads, connects to spirit in her own way. And they, the, they, I'm going to say they, we're just going to use they as like spirits, energy, like angels, whatever, that are going to be giving you messages and information. Their name is Abraham. So Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks. That's why it's called Abraham Hicks, right? So when you go to an event, an Abraham Hicks event, it's Esther. She comes out and she's like, hi, everybody. And she talks actually like a little bit differently and then goes over to the podium and then like kind of just closes her eyes, breathes a little bit, like goes inward and then comes just opens her eyes and says, does usually like a monologue, a really, really inspired monologue. And this is now Abraham who's here, right? Through her physical body talking to us in the room. The, I mean, it's, it's like profound and you can just literally go on YouTube and just type in Abraham Hicks and you could type in like anxiety or manifestation or money or whatever. And you can just listen, you just listen to what 
what she's talking about. I'm going to say she just because for the context of this conversation, it's a woman in a physical female body having saying these words. So in 2016, May, I went to my first Abraham Hicks event. I had been listening to the YouTube um, videos. I had read the book, Ask and It Is Given. And um, I wanted to go have an experience myself. And um, Abraham will ask you to like people in the crowd just to raise their hands. And then, I mean, this is a beautiful model too, PS, like for live events. All you need to do all day is just coach people in the chair and then you just get paid money to do that. And you don't have to like have a whole like agenda. You just, the people come in and that's the agenda. Mm-hmm. Really incredible. So I, the whole weekend sat there the whole day. I didn't raise my hand, didn't raise my hand. And I I didn't feel like inspired to. And then all of a sudden towards the end of the day, I just like... It was like I was possessed. I raised my hand and she calls on me and I'm like, oh no, because I didn't know what I was going to say, Rob. I don't even know why I raised my hand. And I've looked at my friend. I'm like, why did I just do that? And it's one of those rooms where it's just like silent, you know, like I'm walking up to the stage. It's, you could hear a pin drop. I sit on the chair. I'm like, oh, good God. It's now my time to do this thing. And um, I sat in the seat and the first thing that came out of my mouth again, which I sometimes feel like mildly embarrassed about, but I know that it was what needed to come through and people were inspired by it. I said, I don't feel safe. And what what really kind of like sealed the deal for me that that Abraham wasn't just like a total phony or at least this, this woman is like e- either side of the fence. It doesn't really matter for the skeptics listening. She said to me, it's because you don't trust yourself. And I said, yeah, that's right. And then we went on this whole journey of talking about trust. But the, the crazy thing is, Rob, if you were sitting in a room, people come to this event and a woman sits down in front of you and says, I don't trust, I, I don't feel safe. You know, there are many different directions you could go. Like, is she being abused? Is is someone, you know, like, what is that? And that was not even the thing. And it was, it was spot on. It was 100%. That was 100% the reason why I didn't feel safe is because I wasn't trusting myself. I was always feeling terrified, like the other shoe was going to drop. I was like running away from the beast, essentially. So you, you're basically buying into... Esther being mm-hmm. able to channel and yeah. share information like you're you're drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Mm. Here it is. Like I don't really care if if there's a if she's channeling or if she's just like talking <laughs> with what's coming through mm-hmm. because the wisdom that is shared is so profound that and it cares. and that's all that matters to me. Like the downloads, like the mechanism for how she's sharing doesn't really bother me too much. It's like what is coming through is it's like, you'll be listening to one of those downloads and going, oh yeah, okay, that. Like, I need to pause this thing and write that down because yes. It's amazing. I mean, the older I get, the weirder I get. So the weirder. T- I mean, just like, let's just, everyone just, can we all just start flaunting our weird now? Speaking of not normal, I want to talk a little bit about the play hard section of your life. And maybe we can, we can do a little check under the hood yeah. um, <laughs> as we move into this. One of the things, you know, full disclosure here, when I started this podcast about work hard, play hard, I did it for personal uh, reasons. We can go into it another time, but, but I just made the assumption that the entrepreneurs that I was going to be interviewing had this play hard part of their life down. And what I realized after 50 of these is that entrepreneurs are really, really good at being entrepreneurs. Yes. But after that, uh, it's not so easy. So I'm kind of shifting things a little bit in my conversation. And we're looking at it sort of like a, uh, a little check under the hood. So the first question I have for you is, if you added more play in your life, what kinds of things would you love to add? I know you mentioned kayaking. Is there anything else mm-hmm. that you'd like to add? 
honestly, this is going to sound really funny. I just feel like I'm still like recovering from the whole of my life. And I just want to read. I just want to like sit down and read for me and, and just chill. I mean, that it's not that sexy, but it's like that is to me, it gives me so much joy to literally just be here appreciating all that we have asked for in our life and that we are now experiencing. I think the other piece is I really want to have friends come here and be with us on the water, on the lake, like doing, staying up late, you know, having dinners and just like laughing and being together with people we love. Like that to me, there's nothing better than that. And I also think family travel, you know, going, going to see our friends on the West Coast and going to places and exploring. We really want to do the like cross country RV thing. That's that's on the list, the bucket list. Carving out the time to actually physically do that is obviously the most challenging. But that to me, really, it's it's really the 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 center of it for me is about togetherness. I love that. And, you know, I think that is the biggest mistake people make is they look at, you know, play hard and they're like, well, you know, as much fun as it would be spraying champagne in Saint-Tropez, I'd yeah. actually like to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am so good with that. Yeah. I mean, cause you think about what it takes to get there and, um, I don't know, it's like all these hours on planes and all that. like, that doesn't bring me that much joy. Like I'm a person where, I go to LA for my mastermind retreats and I, I really enjoy my experience, but I can't wait to get back here to this place where like the only creature I see in a day is, is one with four legs out in the woods and the birds on the water and having that spaciousness like that is what really, really, you know, fills my cup back up. Other than time, what's the biggest block challenge or struggle with adding more play into your life? Um, me, my own, my own story about, you know, I got to work. I have to work. I have to work. You know, I always have to be plugged in. I always have to be like doing, saying the right thing. You know, it's just that old vibration of anxiety that is still, it's still around, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, man, it has come so far. And, and so I just love my own process of like really continuing to just loosen my grip on the reins. Uh, but that would be it. You know, there, there's so many moments where I catch myself just in a moment of just total joy walking to the mailbox with my daughter in our dirt road and just being like, you didn't bring your phone. Well done, sister. Like, this is great. You are like, this is, this is living. This is why we did this in the first place. I love that. I love the honesty and I'll, I'll share something with you. I made the decision a couple of a couple of months ago to, uh, to go on airplane mode, um, at six o'clock at night and not turn it back on until I finish my workout. And sometimes that's like, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock. And I felt like a heroin addict, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to like get through that. But now, oh my God, it's unbelievable how much that device just interrupts us. It, it's, it's insane. I think it, you know, friends, I think it's really important. This is a great point, Rob, to just, just pay attention. You don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to lock yourself up and, and put yourself down because that's not going to help you. You're going to then try to rebel against that. I think that's the reason why I have to give myself permission to just like gently like step away from things because I know myself. And if I'm being told I have to do something, then I know I'm going to lean in <laughs> even harder on it. And so with, with the phone, just start noticing it, just notice your attachment to it and and what that feels like in your body and what happens when you do leave it when you go for the walk or for the paddle or for the bike ride or whatever and then just continue to invite yourself to just ungrip 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 because here's the thing we can't get those downloads and that clarity and those messages that really belong to us if we are constantly being inundated and 
uh, immersed in other people's stuff. It's just, it's going to influence you, whether you think it is or not, it does. And so let's try to get to the place where we have the clarity of our own thoughts and having our phones be away from us is one of the best ways to do that. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I'll look at other people's Instagram stories and like, I'll, I'll, I'll put the phone down because I'm depressed. I'm like, why am I not doing that? (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I'm going to say Hawaii. Um, I've been to Kauai and it was amazing, but I wasn't there long enough to really get to explore. And I really want to go with my family. So I went for a writing retreat, but I just really want to go there with with my people. So I'm going to say Kauai, Hawaii. Love it. How old would you be if you didn't actually know how old you were? I, I would say I am, I still feel like I'm like a 19 year old. Like and how, old, how old are you? I'm 36. Hmm. And last question and play hard. If you were on your deathbed, what, what would you most regret not having done? Writing my book. Hmm. To be determined. It's under, it's in progress as we speak. I love it. Okay. Let's move into the last section of the show, which is the rapid fire round answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a first thing that comes to your mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Love. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Uh, The bears that my neighbors told me are literally living right around our house and I did not know it. And I realized that I go for walks and runs by myself or with my kid in the stroller like every day. And there's freaking mama bear and babies that are like right here. (laughs) So that's got me a little like I need to order some bear spray just in case. And so that, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Real real life. Real life. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? What did you want to be when you were growing up? Hmm? Yeah. Okay. What one regret do you have? You know, I I don't I don't really have that many regrets. I think yesterday I was a little unkind to the guy we got the car from because he we got the car with an empty gas tank and it really pissed me off. And so I sent him a message in a moment of being pissed off and I thought about it after and I thought I could have done that a little bit better. How great is it that you were able to catch yourself though? Yeah. Yep. So that it was like laying in bed this morning going, you know, that wasn't, you could have, you just could have like really taken your foot off the gas on that one sister. You know, you could have just, cause it's like not a big deal. What's not the one deal. thing that you want to get better at? I want to get, I just want to continue to get better at, I think telling story, you know, just telling stories. I want to, I really want to hone that craft um, as a writer and as a speaker. If you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it can really be on anything that you like or have a passion for, or frankly, anything else at all, what would it be? I think the, the, what I learned as a soccer player, so really the parallels of the beautiful game of soccer and life and what there's so much to be learned there. And I think it would just be a total blast to just share those themes and create those parallels for people to understand and respect this game that I think gets a bad rap sometimes because people think it's boring here in the US. Um, also with just the game of life. Love it. And I mean, it's very appropriate at this World Cup time in our, our year, right? Well, Amber, I cannot thank you enough. This was absolutely amazing. It's been such a joy to get to know you better. And I am a, I'm a big fan of your work, my dear. I'm a thank big you, fan Rob. of your work. Thank you. I so appreciate you, brother. Yep. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game 
or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.